Once again, we will be looking at Genesis chapter 39 and verse 9. So let me just read this text in your hearing and do just a little bit of a review and then we'll get into what we were dealing with last week and hope to complete at least in some fashion this morning. Genesis 39 and verse 9. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? We have chosen this text in order to speak about temptation. And as we've talked here this last few weeks, we're not dealing necessarily with the temptation itself that uh, Joseph faced, which of course was the sin of adultery, the sin of fornication. This, of course, was a terrible and is a terrible sin. Uh, it's not something to take lightly. There are means of grace that we ought to be using as we battle against this particular sin. But I was trying to look at the temptation just across the board and not trying to necessarily hone it in on one kind of sin or any kind of sin for that matter, but all sin that we might come in contact with on a daily basis. Whether it be the sin from without, that is, the world may face us with, or Satan, or the sin that's within, that is, our own indwelling corruption that we have within us. We do note, though, that sin does call us. Temptation does ask us to come and to, as it were, sup with it. It asks us to sin with it. You remember in the context here that Joseph was being tempted by Potiphar's wife and she came to him and she was enticing him to come and to lie with her. So day in and day out, we see that Joseph was faced with this call of temptation. And we showed us there, what was his answer to this call of temptation? Well, in this particular instance, we said here, the answer back that he gave to this temptation was this. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now, one of the things we said, this is not the only answer to give back to temptation, but it is an answer. And it is an answer, brethren, we had better make use of in our daily contest against sin and temptation. And whether it be this great sin that we may be facing, or any sin, whether it's a small sin or the big sin as we may view them in our own thinking, and nonetheless, we still need to exercise this answer when it comes to sin. When temptation gives her call, as it were, to cause us to come and sin with her, we should say, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God. Now, the first sermon, we gave something of the context of this. We gave something of the privileges that Joseph had faced and had and that despite of all the privileges that he was in, the temptations that he was in in himself, that that did not make him immune to these temptations. And he too had to give a faithful answer or he would have fallen into sin. And then we gave what I would call some helps in fighting against sin. Now, these things are just that helps uh, so that when temptation does come knocking, 
we would be able to say, how can I sin or how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? We said there are some things that we ought to be thinking about and thinking about in a constant basis. Not waiting just when sin comes to our door and begins to beckon us to sin with it and then it's probably too late. Because then perhaps it will come upon us too fast. Or it will be too powerful. And we will fall into sin. So these are the kind of things we need to be thinking on a regular basis. So, brethren, that we will not be so tempted to sin. You remember we gave six things. And let me just go over them real quickly. I will not preach on them, I promise. But I said one of the things we need to have is a serious heart. Now, I will give you the definition of that, though. What did I say a serious heart meant? I said, well, we're going to look at it in this context. By a serious heart, I mean a heart which keeps alive a sense of our having an eye of God upon us with a dread of sinning against the Holy One of Israel, a heart purposing and obedience to God, studious to know and to do the will of our Heavenly Father, and a heart and a proper frame to receive all that God might send our way in His holy providence. And we can see in the example of Joseph someone who had then a serious heart. He has those marks that I just gave there within himself when he faced this great temptation. And we also said... That's just nothing known as, that's nothing more than the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, what keeps us from evil. So we need to have then a serious heart. The second thing I said is to be watchful over such a heart. Because it can easily flee from us. We can get caught up in the day. We can get caught up in the humor and the silliness and the foolishness of our own hearts. And suddenly that serious frame of heart is gone. And then we won't be so watchful. The third thing I says, know in some measure your heart. Know your particular temptations. Know your weaknesses. And I said, know too that these things can change. What one moment you thought you would never do, a year from now, a month from now, a week from now, tomorrow, you may find yourself doing. Another thing it says we said, we said was to deal seriously with sin. It's not a game. Sin's real. It's out to kill you. It's out to take you to hell. So deal seriously. The fifth thing I said was pray. And pray. And pray. And then pray some more. Jesus told us and taught us to pray. Lead us not into temptation and so forth. And then we said sixthly, have a realization that when we sin, it is oftentimes with our bodies. In other words, when I sin, I can sin with my eyes. I can sin with my feet. I can sin with my hands. I can sin with my tongue. And so there needs to be a guard over these things. And that's as far as we got. So this morning, I want to continue then looking at some of these helps in our fighting and our answering the call to temptation. Now, these are very practical exhortations. And I mean them to be that way. And I'm not trying to list them to be boring. But I think if we really seek to apply these by the grace of God, 
brethren, we will have some we will have success in our fighting against sin and temptation. We need these things. And everyone I have listed thus far, both that I have listed last week and what I'm going to list today and probably next week is the way it's going, uh, these are biblical. These are not things I'm just dreaming up and they sound nice. These are things I'm taking from the Scripture. So, I even have a heading on one of these as we need to deal with these things biblically. And that's what I trust we're doing this week, last week, and probably the week to come. Well, we're going to start with number seven. That's where we're at. And again, I, if I mislabel these, you'll have to forgive me on my numbering. But uh, the seventh one is this. If we're going to have help and by the grace of God and in everyday affairs of fighting against sin and temptation, if we're going to be able to say like, like Joseph here, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God, then we're going to need the help of number seven. And that is the encouragement one from another. Not only should others encourage me, but I better be about the business of encouraging others. So encourage one another. Don't sit around waiting for someone to encourage you. You get up. You get busy. And you encourage someone else. And if everybody has that attitude and mindset, then no one will be left out. Everyone then will be encouraged. See how that makes sense, doesn't it? If everybody's busy about it, and nobody's just waiting for you know, someone to come help poor old me, then we will all be served in that sense. But brethren, what we need is encouragement one from another not to answer the call of temptation with sin, but with this answer that Joseph gives. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Brethren, we need one another in this. Just think how much more Joseph would have been encouraged if he had his brothers around him. He was by himself. And how much... What a, what a hurt that was to his own soul and his own good. Thankfully, he survived it, didn't he? But that's no guarantee you will. You are presuming upon God. You are tempting God to say, I can go this alone. I can be a lone ranger in my Christian walk. I don't need other brethren. I just need the Holy Spirit in me. That's how some people think. That's not right. It's not biblical. It's sinful thinking. You've already given over to the call of temptation just by having that mindset that you can do this alone. Because it's not biblical. And thus then we can see the necessity of church fellowship. Thus there ought to be, brethren, a faithfulness to God's house so that you can receive Grace and help from the brethren. Not that we're the dispensers of it ultimately or we're the source of it. But brethren, God does use means of grace to encourage us. Remember Paul the Apostle was cast down. He talks about there in 2 Corinthians and how that he didn't just didn't know what was going to happen. And then he says though, I was comforted by the coming of Titus. 
Titus shows up. And he was a comfort to Paul. And that was after Paul had said there in chapter 1 that God was the God of all comfort. You see, God, Paul wasn't saying, well, I'm just forgetting that aspect of it. Now, I'm just going to look to Titus. Nor was he saying, well, I'm just going to look at God and He's my only comfort and it doesn't matter where the Titus comes or not. No, Paul was balanced here, wasn't he? He said both. He said, God is the God of all comfort and I was comforted by the coming of Titus. Brethren, there is strength, there is grace, there is help in encouraging one another. Don't put this down as, well, this is one of those that's way down the list. And then, yeah, it's true, I listed it as number seven. None of these are in any kind of order. I hope you understand that. But I have to give it out linear in some way, and so this happens to be number seven. But it's not the seventh in that sense. It's very important to have the fellowship of the brethren. To be encouraged in the things of God. And again, don't wait for them to, for everybody to come to me. I should be going to everyone else. Hebrews. And again, I mentioned this in, in the context of church fellowship because this is, where it's, this is where it's learned. This is where it's preserved. This is where it's uh, it's propagated. I said it right. Propagated. Yes. Got that word out. This is how it continues on as well. Look in Hebrews 10, if you would. Verse 24. Paul's talking about here the great work of redemption beginning in chapter 10. Isn't it? It's not the, the, uh, the silly bulls and goats and the blood of those things that can take away sin. What is it? It's Christ and His sacrifice. That's what Paul's talking about. Then he gets into the fact of the new covenant. And in the new covenant, we truly have the forgiveness of sins. And then he talks about our profession. Our confession of faith. And by that is, uh, yes, we mouth it, but also we live it. And then he tells us in verse 23, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And then notice verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Here it is in the imperative. This is what you're to do. Every one of us. No one this morning that is a member of the Reformed Baptist Church of Topeka, Kansas, is exempt from this exhortation and command. No one. If you are a member here, one of the things that you coveted to do was to do this very thing. You're not fit to be a member if you're not doing it. And you won't continue on. That's a fact. Because this is the very thing that is needed in your walk and in your, in your, in your, your manner and course of life. To be encouraging one another. As well as be encouraged. But to also encourage. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Notice the strong word that he uses there, the, the, the verb provoke. Now, usually that's used in a bad sense, like if you were to provoke your brother or your sister to anger. You know, I, I know what pushes her or his button, so that's the button I'm going to push. It provokes them to do something. Well, this is the word that Paul uses, but he uses it here in a good sense. We are to provoke them not unto anger, not unto uh, malice, but we're to provoke one another unto love. And to good works. 
How can that happen if you don't see the brethren? How can that happen if you don't speak to the brethren? How can that happen if you're not participating in fellowship one with another? So I have excuses. Your excuses will not amount to anything before God. Because everyone can do this. It's just a matter of Will you do it? Will you do it? And the reason I say it's the church context, look at the next verse. Not. This is actually part of the sentence. The sentence begins actually in verse 23 and doesn't end until verse 25. So this is part of Paul's thinking here. So when he tells us to hold fast our profession, when he tells us to consider one another, to provoke one another unto love and good works, he says it within this context, verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Do we have then, brethren, excuse to disobey this command? I don't believe so. Whether it means showing up for church, which we all ought to do, or whether it means, verse 24, in the provoking unto love and to good works. Brethren, in our fight against sin, we need this. Isn't it true when we gather together with God's people and we fellowship one another? Isn't it true? Haven't you felt this in the reality of your own soul and your own experience as a Christian that, that sin weakens among us? And in us? Now, it's true, there can be other temptations. We may be tempted to gossip when we get together. But some of these other sins, brethren, that you and I struggle with on a day-to-day basis, when we come together and we're fellowshipping one with another, you can't tell me, if you're a Christian, that there is something about this gathering of God's people that I find strength and that sin is not as powerful. If you're a Christian, you know something of that. If it's foreign to you, you're just not a Christian. It's a fact. Some of my most strongest struggles that I have are when I'm away from the brethren. And when I get around us, that particular sin is loses its strength. It's not as powerful with me. Why? Because there's something to this truth. That as we gather together and as we fellowship, whether here or somewhere else, brethren, there is grace and help in this. So we ought to be doing this. And brethren, if we're to do it then, if we're going to go to others and exhort them, then that would mean then when we're exhorted, we better listen. You know, we may like to fellowship together, but who likes to be rebuked? I don't know too many people that say, yeah, give it to me. Right here, right here, right here. You know, no one likes that. But it's needed, isn't it? No one really, if they're trying to be careful and not sin, it's not easy given rebuke, is it? That's why we see the exhortation in Galatians 6 about it. We better be careful. We better not go with a haughty spirit. 
But one of the things we do need to do, brethren, if we're going to be giving or, re- or, or listening to rebuke, is that we have to give heed to it. So be ready to listen, be ready to receive, be ready to heed, and to be ready to obey the exhortations and the rebukes that are given when we get together. Listen to some of the passages in Proverbs. Proverbs 5. My son, attend unto my wisdom, and bow thine ear to my understanding, that thou mayest regard discretion, and that thy lips may keep knowledge. Listen to him talking to his son here. Listen to me, he says. Listen to my words. He's telling his son to give heed. Chapter 4. He says, Hear ye, children, the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. Again, he's got his son by the, by the collar, so to speak, and he's saying, listen to me. Chapter 1. Same kind of wording. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother, for they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head. And chains about thy neck. You want to be handsome? It won't be how you dress. It'll be your behavior. I'm not saying we have excuse to being slobs. I'm just saying, and if, by the way, if you have this kind of instruction in you, you won't be a slob. Just a fact. But what true beauty is, is obedience to the Word of God. It's a beautiful thing. You young ladies, you want to look pretty? Obey God. That's beautiful. Young men, you want to be handsome? Like me? Then obey God. What are you all laughing about? There's this idea, brethren, there's there's a beauty in obedience. Chapter 28. And verse 9. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law. Get this. Listen to this. Even his prayer shall be abomination. Reminds me of David. If I have an iniquity in my heart, God will not hear me. Brethren, if we get around the brethren and we, we begin to encourage one another, or even perhaps we have to rebuke, as the case may be, whether it's encouragement or rebuke, and we don't give heed to it, Our prayers are worthless. It's important, isn't it? 29.1 He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Haven't we seen that? Haven't we seen this very thing with people? Even of our own midst who have had to be disciplined through excommunication. You think that was the first time we've had to deal with those folks when they were just being in the church court itself and having to been taken care of? I had spent months, years with these folks. I was telling them and telling them and pleading with them and pleading with them. But they didn't heed it. And now, they're off into their sins. Notice, he that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. So, 
Yes, it's great to get together. Yes, it's good to be encouraged. But we better listen. There is danger in not giving heed. You young people listen to me especially. It's dangerous not to listen to the truth and give heed to it. Then the next one is for this is again, these are just helps in fighting and answering the call to temptation. Very practical implications and exhortations. Know the Word of God. Know Scripture. How will you know what temptation is? How will you know sin except by the law of God? So this only makes sense, doesn't it? That you would have to know the Bible in order to know what temptation is. Know the, the, the subtleness and how that sin can beguile and how desperately wicked our own hearts are and how that sin is so deceitful. It's the Scripture who reminds us of these things. It's the Scripture that gives us help it's the Scripture that, as we mentioned this morning in our, in our Bible study lesson, that gives us uh, comfort and patience. It's the Word of God. What did, when the Lord Jesus was faced with the temptation with Satan, where did our Lord Jesus turn? What did He turn to? He turned to the Scripture. Thus it is written. Thus it is written. Thus it is written. Each time that the devil came with his onslaughts with the Bible itself, the Lord Jesus used Scripture in return. What else do we have? You say, well, that's what the devil used. Well, yes, but he got it right back to him, didn't he? He got the correct interpretation back, didn't he? Which reminds you know, when the cults come to your door, they don't write cult, and they don't try to use, well, I guess there are some that would use other books, but they'll use the Bible, won't they? Well, what do we have to use in return? What's our sword? It's the Word of God. And brethren, what's our sword in the midst of temptation and trial? And when sin says, come play with me, come lie with me, it better be the Word of God that is our sword. Psalm 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. Why does David want the Word of God hidden in his heart? so that he won't sin against God. Verse 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Verse 15, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes, and I shall keep it unto the end. Give me understanding and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. We see where David's heart was, don't we? It was the Word of God. He read it. He wrote it. He sang it. This was David. And so it doesn't surprise us when we turn over towards the latter part of this psalm that he, he talks about how that the Word of God or the, his, God's testimonies, His statutes, His law was like honey to His taste. It was very endearing to Him. Can we say that? Or is the latest video game what's so endearing to us? Is it the latest book? Is it tomorrow's newspaper? Is it some TV show that we will sit in front of for hours 
and just spend a matter of minutes, if any, in God's Word. There's something wrong with that picture, isn't it? There's something wrong when we can watch a computer screen for hours and spend only minutes with our Bibles. Something wrong with that, isn't it? Do you see a problem with that? I do. Is there any reason then we are as weak as we are as Christians? And how easy that when temptations come, rather than fighting it, we gladly follow it. It's because the Bible is not our love as it ought to be. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to read it. We don't want to meditate on it. We don't want to study it. But brethren, let me encourage you this morning. Let nothing come between you and the love of Scripture. It ought to be the greatest thing that we can possess. It is. Something physical, something tangible. This is it. The Word of God. Do you love your Bible like you ought? So go, no, none of us love our Bible. You're right, none of us do. And that's the crying shame of it. That's why we ought to be repenting. That's why we ought to be seeking grace and help from God to love our Bible so that we are enthoned with it rather than the latest gadget and gadget that's out there. And believe you me, it can be a lot more exciting at times than this, this black and white book, isn't it? And then number nine, guard our eyes, our ears, and even our mouth. If you want to be helped in fighting against sin, guard your eyes. This is similar to the one that we talked about with sin with our body, but I want to get down to brass tacks here this morning with it. We ought to guard our eyes, our ears, and our mouths. By that I mean be careful what comes in through these particular gates unto our soul. Our eyes, brethren, see these things. And it's implanted in our souls. Our ears hear things. Our mouths even say things that will affect our own souls, either for good or for bad. So we need to be very careful about that. Proverbs once again, I think Brock's going to be bringing a message on some of this tonight. But in Proverbs 4, steal some of your fire here this morning. Proverbs 4 and verse 20, he says, My son, now notice the anatomy of lesson he gives here. My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes, keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they are, are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a forward mouth, and perverse lips put far from thee. Let thine eyes look right on, and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand, nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. Do you notice the gates that he was talking about there? The ear, the mouth, and the eyes, and also the heart. These are things that the world knows 
are our stumbling blocks. Satan knows, and our own hearts know these things. Sin is very aware of this. And so sin tries to make its entrance into us through these things. What was Joseph's temptation to him? It wasn't just this woman, but it was a woman who he saw, it was a woman he heard, and it was a woman he spoke to. Wasn't it? All three of those things were there, present with young Joseph. And my friend, if he had not had a guard over his mouth and his eyes and his ears, he would have fallen into her clutches. This is why, brethren, we are often reminded, don't make provisions for the flesh. The book of Galatians, Paul dealing with the ideas of the sins of the flesh. He tells us in chapter 5 and verse 16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust or lust of the flesh. For the lust, flesh lusteth against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. And then he begins to tell us what the things are that are sinful and the things which are righteous. But notice this. Walk in the Spirit so that you won't be walking in the flesh. You won't be fulfilling these things. And Paul has to remind the Roman readers of this very thing. He tells them in chapter 13, he says, Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness. That's partying is basically what that means. Not in strife and envying, so we may not think we would do those above, but we would have no problems about striving and being jealous. It's funny how our minds think, and it? it's funny how sin works. But then he says in verse 14, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Don't put things before you that are going to cause you to sin and to do unrighteousness. And then, number ten, deal honestly with our temptations. Deal on, be honest about it. You know what tempts you and what doesn't. You know, we may say to others, oh, I'm not tempted by that sin. But then you go away thinking, why did I say that when I know that's one of my main sins that I can be caught up in so easily? See, that's not being honest. Or you lie to your heart. We tell ourselves that I, I won't be given over to this. And the next thing we know, we're given over to it. We think that our hearts are strong. That's not dealing honestly, brethren. It's dealing foolishly and dishonestly with our temptations. And then number 11, I mentioned this earlier, deal biblically with temptation. Deal Biblically, with the call of temptation. Now you may say, well that kind of goes without, going, uh, without saying, don't you think? Well, I think it's true, but our temptation, within our temptation, will be to deal with it in such a way as we like. Or perhaps sometimes what is more comfortable or what is easier 
rather than dealing with it as the Bible tells us to deal with it. If I'm having some struggle with the flesh, then the Bible says I am to not make provisions for the flesh. Period. Not that I'm to do everything but that, but I am to take guard against this aspect of my flesh by not making provisions for it. You see, I wouldn't want to do that because that may mean leaving this out. It may not be able to go there, not be able to say this, see this person, think this thought. But brethren, it's not matter. It doesn't matter how I think about this. Again, that's why I said we need to deal biblically with this sin. Biblically with our temptation. And it's not to be handled in my way. Because I would always take the easiest route. And most likely, if I was honest with my heart, I would take the sinful route. I would take the route that may just get me closer to that sin than I should be. We need to deal biblically. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him. He shall direct thy path. Don't lean to your own understanding. Lean to Scripture. Lean to Scripture. And then another one, this is number 12. I wrote here, obviously, to, to underline this. Obviously, there is to be an obedience. Duh. We better be obedient. In saying all of this, brethren, where would we be, how faithful would we be, if we just don't plain obey the Word of God? And boy, we can dream up the excuses not to be obedient. Can't we? I got some winners that I would just love to give y'all, but I don't want to tempt you. We can come up with some woozies when it comes to the idea of just not being plain, obedient to God's Word. But brethren, a help to us in the midst of our temptation is to be obedient. And I realize this is the time that everybody says, well, look, I'm going through a trial. I'm being tempted. Surely I don't have to be as faithful. Well, yes, as a matter of fact, you are to be as faithful in that. And it's here the temptation will be the strongest. It is to test our obedience to the Lord and His ways as they are revealed in Scripture. See, the whole thing is, is a matter of whether you're going to obey God or not. When God places things before us, they're not evil, as He talks about in James, is to show us whether we're going to do good or evil. If Satan comes tempting us with stuff, he's obviously trying to make us do evil. Not to do good. Not to obey. When sin is flashed before me in some fashion or some form, it's to make me disobey. Now, brethren, this doesn't take a lot of spiritual brains to figure this out, does it? That one of the things of temptation will be to make me disobey. Didn't this woman, in Joseph's case, wasn't she trying to get him to sin? Yes, the sin of adultery was what was on her mind. So she was trying to get Joseph to go against God and what God has said. But we're also tempted not only in this idea, but we're also tempted in faith. Tempted in our faith. 
And both are to be found in our being faithful to God. In other words, we're to be faithful in our obedience and we're to be faithful in our faith in our obedience. And let me say here, just as there is a concern in our day for a faith without obedience, we all know about that, don't we? We hear tons about easy believism, carnal Christianity and that sort of thing. But you know, there is something just as real and just as damning that is out there that's known as an obedience without faith. You know, that will send you to hell just as fast as faith without obedience, faith without works. If there is no faith in our works, that too is damning. You know, we don't hear anybody harping on that one, do we? We hear them harping about carnal Christianity. We hear them harping. We see the books written about easy believism. But you never hear anyone talk about having works without faith. Why is that, I wonder? Again, it's just more of this imbalance we Christians have today. There is and should be an honest concern for this one as well in our midst. Probably more so in our midst. Because I don't think most of us here believe we can go out and sin. And say we have saving faith. And sin and live under its dominion. But how easy it is to have obedience without faith. He says it's possible? Sure. Look in Hebrews chapter 3. And it's so often missed. It's just as dangerous, just as damning, and just as a bigger concern. Hebrews 3, verse 17. We'll begin there. But whom, but with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that doesn't say obeyed not. It says believed not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left of us entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. You see, there can be an obedience without faith. In fact, we're going to read of some folks tonight in Numbers chapter, I believe it's 14, it's the scripture reading, where there were ten men who went over to spy out the land who obeyed. They went over and spied the land out. But they came back with an evil report. Why? They didn't have faith. Though they obeyed, there was no faith. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So, in all of this, I'm saying that in the midst of our trials, in the midst of the coming of temptations upon us to want to go sin, brethren, we better be faithful in our obedience to God and in our faith unto God. And don't, don't be turning this thing upside down and having one without the other. Which are so many are apt to do. 
and it's just as wrong. Let me close with um, this last one, and then we'll pick up something of the others next week. Let me put this one. This is number 13. Walk humbly before God and man. The prophet asks, if I can find it, in Micah chapter 6 and verse 7 and 8. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Here he sums up, what does God want out of us? Well, he talks about we ought to be merciful, we ought to show love, we ought to, there ought to be equity in our lives, but as well there ought to be humbleness. Humbleness in our actions, whether they're outward or whether they're inward. What do you think God thinks about our pride? Well, I don't have to guess. We don't have to speculate. We can go to Proverbs and we see. He says it's an abomination to Him. Our pride is a stink in His nostrils. Pride is sin, brethren. And it can be demonstrated in our countenance. Remember, it's a proud look that He hates. It can be demonstrated in our words. It can be demonstrated in our hearts and in our thinking. And brethren, we need to be careful about our pride. You know, one of the... where pride snags us the the fastest, it's with knowledge. You know, we all have a little Bible under our belt. We've all read a little theology. We all know the Scriptures fairly well. I mean, we're five-point Calvinists here. We believe in the law. I mean, we're all set. And yet we don't realize that our knowledge can be a source of pride. Paul told the Corinthians, and he didn't say this about anything else, but he said this, knowledge puffeth up. Knowledge puffeth up. And this is the devil that can be the great temptation to so many of us. Our knowledge. Our carriage around others whom we think we know just a little bit more than they do. I've got this area down pat in my life and if they don't and if they're not up to snuff, well they're just not up to snuff. That's how we are. Some of us here have a haughty attitude with what little bit of knowledge you think you have. Or I think I have. And Paul told the Corinthians after he said that, none of us know the things that we ought to know. Even the things we know, we don't know as we ought. There's still a lacking there. So brethren, a great help to us in the midst of the call of temptation is to be humble. Recognizing something of our true humanity that's full of sin and shortcomings.